0: All of the major problems of our time, the pandemic, climate change, the massive inequalities, the nature of fiscal responses and so on. The most interesting answers come from the economists who are largely ignored by the mainstream and who are not taught to students in colleges and universities.
1: Welcome to this podcast series from the International Science Council, where we're exploring diversity in science. I'm Marnie Chesterton, and in this episode, we're looking at how multiple perspectives can create better science, whether you're devising economic policy, planning a city, or protecting natural resources. Science is a team effort. All the sciences face complex challenges, which require diverse viewpoints, ideas and thinkers. But how can we put these ideals into practice? As part of a recent project, the ISC has been examining what the post-pandemic age means for economics, and diversity has been a key theme. According to Jayati Ghosh, Professor of Economics at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst in the US, it's a discipline that needs to be more open to change.
0: I do feel that the economics discipline has actually got more and more impoverished over the last half century, because it has moved away from the recognition that economics is a social science, or rather broadly, a study of society in its economic aspects, which means that it is necessarily more open to debate, that it is less purely scientific in terms of the absolute objectivity of certain conclusions, that it has a more need to recognize the other social forces, political, anthropological, cultural, uh, power imbalances. It has to recognize all of those things when it actually analyzes the economy. We've moved away from that to a notion of economics as being subject to some iron laws and being very, very uh, technical in the understanding in a way that has diminished the discipline and has diminished our ability to actually understand the economy. We make models which are based on very restrictive assumptions, which somehow assumes that the underlying assumptions are correct, and they're not. But economists are often surprised. When the economic reality turns out to be very different, the global financial crisis was a famous example. Uh, I think the Queen of England famously remarked, "Why did none of you see it coming? Economists whom we call you know heterodox or pluralist who have who recognize uh, these different possibilities they had been warning for several years about the possibility of a very major crisis, but they were ignored, so I think the discipline has really lost by not coming clean about the nature of the assumptions that guide the mainstream theories.
1: Jayati also argues that this lack of diversity in approach is affected by a lack of diversity in the people who are actually doing economics.
0: There's a domination of what I call the North Atlantic, which is to say that economists based in the United States, the United Kingdom, and to some extent, Northern Europe, writing in English, get far greater recognition and uh, acceptance than economists everywhere else in the world. If you look just at the the Nobel Prize for Economics, I mean, who does it get awarded to over all of these uh, decades? There's been a lot of discussion of how, you know, women uh, often get uh, excluded or marginalized. And certainly there are very few women who make it to the top of the profession uh, very few role models in that sense. Uh, there are, um, there's a huge lack of diversity, even in the North Atlantic, in terms of people of different ethnic backgrounds, uh, race, uh, religion, and so on. Now, why does this matter? Because when you come from a particularly different reality, you are more aware of the assumptions that need to be changed, of the ways in which economic mechanisms play out differently for different groups. And that changes the way you do your science. That changes the way you do your analysis. Luckily, though,
1: things are changing. And there are those who want to make economics more permeable to different groups and voices.
0: And that's because young people have come out in far greater number and across the world to demand change. Groups like the Young Scholars Initiative, which has also grown massively in the last few years, who are also questioning and they're open. They're saying, look, we are not going to exclude anybody. We want to hear all the different positions and we want to expose ourselves to as many ideas, traditions and analyses as possible so that we can judge for ourselves which is the most applicable, which is the most relevant, which truly advances our own knowledge.
1: This idea is at the heart of the ISC's Lira 2030 programme which supports early career scientists in Africa working to meet the goals of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. What's distinctive about the LIRA programme is that it promotes transdisciplinary research, integrating knowledge and perspectives from different scientific disciplines and from non-academics.
2: The idea of transdisciplinary research involving other people, other disciplines and local people always has something to teach us, especially those of us who are academics.
1: This is Dan Inkum, Professor of Planning at the Kwam Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Ghana, where he's been involved in Lira 2030.
2: Young grantees come into the process and they are faced with the problem of having to cross disciplines to go into other fields to be able to, to engender this kind of cross-disciplinary research. I think the general sense is that it was quite exciting and you you found a large number of the grantees very enthusiastic and very open to stepping into new grounds and discovering things uh, for themselves. And then you get those who are a bit sceptical about whether this will work at all.
1: Dan's own field of research in urban policies is a focus of the LIRA programme and it's one that benefits hugely from the transdisciplinary approach.
2: Essentially, I'm I'm looking at how urban policies can influence the the kind of things we see in the the urban landscape and and who are the actors who are involved in the processes. I think the the interesting thing is the perceptions of, of people who are educated, people who are public servants, people who are privileged, Sometimes people have the notion, and sometimes us academics as well, we, we have the notion that it's our prerogative or it's our it's preserve, and that, in quotes, ordinary people uh, do not know much about policymaking. And as a result, it is the enlightened, the educated, the elite who will do the policy and later consult the people for their opinions. And that is sometimes shocking uh, because uh, it tells you a lot about how people conceptualize the whole development process and the fact that there's a lot of exclusion uh, from that whole process. And I personally think from my experience that that is the reason why we see a lot of the issues that are unresolved in the urban landscape. The whole idea of uh, transdisciplinary research um, is to accept that one discipline one uh, let me say kind of knowledge alone cannot respond to the complexity of urban uh, issues that we face and that there needs to be collaboration there needs to be interdisciplinary cross-disciplinary approach to resolving issues Uh, and so once you uh, have that at the back of your mind then Uh, the so-called ordinary people uh, also have something to contribute.
1: This more inclusive way of doing research, which values and utilises the contributions of so-called ordinary people, is especially important when the outcomes of that research are going to impact those people.
3: I think it's, it's fundamental to have diverse perspectives and indigenous peoples have the long-term experience and the biocultural connections, intersections between biological and cultural diversity. And I think that academia has a very important role to play in bringing these voices to the policymaking, in supporting indigenous struggles. This is Simone Atayiji,
1: Associate Professor in Global and Sociocultural Studies at Florida International University. Simone is part of the ISC's Community of World Social Science Fellows. In 2012, her team was approached by indigenous communities who were concerned about several new dams that were under construction in the Amazon.
3: So a couple of different indigenous leaders uh, came to talk to, to me and to my colleagues to ask for support for their struggles and also to to challenge some of these studies that did not take their knowledge into consideration
1: this led simone and her colleagues to set up the amazon dams network to promote transdisciplinary dialogue and coordinate research across amazonian rivers knowledge systems and people
3: we realized That people were not talking to each other. Researchers were not connecting their, um, their topics, were not connecting their research. The research that existed were not properly communicated to, you know, to society and to different actors. And also that indigenous peoples were and local communities were largely invisible in this process of hydropower development.
1: It was through working with indigenous communities to monitor the potential impacts of the dams, that researchers were able to discover new things.
3: So we were developing the questions for the monitoring with them. And then something that the researchers did not think about was to also monitor the fruits that are used by the fish, that are very important for, you know, the fish to be uh sustained. And and so they the indigenous uh, community said, hey, look, um, this fruit is super important, but we need to understand what the flow of the river, of the changes in the flow of the river will cause to these fruits. So all of that was like a lesson uh, to us. And that was uh, in, included in the monitoring questions and in the monitoring program.
1: The Amazon Dams Network also highlighted the importance of including women in research
3: projects like this. The indigenous women's uh, leadership was was incredible for us to, to witness that because, you know, women uh, hold very different knowledge in comparison to men when it comes to the environment. It's critical to have women's participation and to hear women's voices on these topics. Bringing such a
1: range of people and viewpoints together isn't always easy, and there may be some who are against the inclusion of different types of knowledge in research, or who are uncomfortable with it.
3: But Simone has some advice
1: on how to promote fruitful collaboration. You need to
3: be really welcoming and then use, you know, the theory of... um collaborative knowledge production, the theory of transdisciplinarity to to involve them. And there are several tools and methods and things that you can use. And one of them is to use bridging concepts, um, for example, to ask questions about the values of rivers uh, for different people. Different people will have different notions, different opinions, different worldviews on on rivers and the importance of rivers, and and when you ask those questions openly, uh, other things can happen, and even biophysical scientists can express something even more spiritual that is connected to that worldview, and and that can make them uh, more open uh, to to hear and to listen to different perspectives, and then also setting the ground rules early in the process which is to be more tolerant and inclusive of different, different perspectives, help because when there is any intolerance, you can bring back or remind people of what is our mission here, which is really learn from each other and to be more open and tolerant.
1: Simone, Dan and Jayati's work show that knowledge is a shared journey, requiring input from diverse groups. We each come to science with our own perspectives and experiences, And only by harnessing those can we discover new things about the world, adapt to its challenges and help science advance. That's it for this episode on diversity in science from the International Science Council. You can find out more about the Lira 2030 programme and the other projects mentioned in this episode online at council.science. Next week, we'll be looking at improving gender diversity in science, including initiatives to give women a stronger voice in science organisations, and hearing from former President of Ireland Mary Robinson on why climate change is a man-made problem in need of a feminist solution.